0: We're going to continue in our journey through Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, his most troubled church, and Paul has been in a prolonged conversation with him about a lot of that trouble, Uh, and it's remarkable to me, probably any other pastor would have quit by this time, Uh, but Paul stays in the fight. He has a profound love and commitment to to the wayward church, and he knows that they've been led astray. Uh, and one of the things you're gonna, we're going to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, is an emphasis on our need to be loyal to Christ. Both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, there, there is this parallel between covenant loyalty to God and human marriage. And, uh, and Paul brings some of that uh, to, to bear in our text today. And as I was thinking about this, I thought what a great example was the book of Hosea. You remember Hosea, that, uh, that passionate, emotional book in the Old Testament uh, where, where the prophet Hosea was literally told by God, you go marry a prostitute so that the people of Israel will know what it's like having a cheating spouse. Because Israel is cheating against me. The, Israel is going after idols when I am Yahweh, the Lord that brought them out of the wilderness. In Hosea 1-2, God said, spoke to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. You get this judgment of God, but you ought to get this brokenheartedness a bit too, don't you? Hosea chapter 2, he, uh, Hosea says... God says, uh, and and, and Hosea is acting out, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And yet, in Hosea, Gomer, his wife, the harlot, goes and plays the harlot. And she receives all the abuse that would normally occur in a situation like that. And it's found out, I guess, because of her debt. She's found to be in the slave market, probably being sold for the debts that she owes. Bruised, battered, and probably naked. And Hosea, with the forgiveness of the Lord, goes up and buys her and brings her back to himself. After all of the sins that she has committed. The Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel though they turn to other gods and have raisin cakes. So I brought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You, have, uh, you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so I will also be towards you. So what we're going to see in Second Corinthians today is uh, like a faithful wife, we are to be loyal to Christ. Uh, And many of us are here because we've had experiences with churches in the past that did not keep that. So I want to really challenge y'all today that it's your responsibility to, to make sure that our church never plays the harlot and is always faithful to the husband, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we turn to you now as Paul writes hard words. But Lord, we need to hear hard words sometimes. Sometimes we are just so complacent. We're so distracted by the world. We tend to to, uh, put the priority of the church low uh, in terms of our priorities for the week. And we need a good wake-up call, Lord. If the Corinthian church could fall, so could this church. But we are tired of seeing compromise in the church of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that you would help us to have faith. Help us to be a loyal wife uh, to our husband. For one day, we will see you face to face. And we want to be able to look you in the eye in love without hanging our head in shame because of our compromise. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul has just had a hard-hitting kind of defense of his apostolic ministry. And he sort of summed up that chapter 10 saying, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And Paul really is kind of disgusted with what he has to do. He has to basically boast on his ministry because he is being attacked by usurpers, by false teachers, and he's having to remind the Corinthians of the gospel and how important it is and how he is a true apostle, and they are actually indeed false apostles here. And as we go through this passage in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter. Uh, 11 verses 1 through 6, uh, you're going to see uh, uh, various sections here, and you'll find these sections laid out for you, in the home group helps insert, might be of assistance to you to follow along, but you see here Paul's appeal in verse 1, and then you see four areas of, of focus for Paul's appeal, and, and each one of these areas begin with the word, the Greek word gar, the, the English word for. Uh, we see here Paul's jealousy in verse 2a, our loyalty to Christ in verse 2b th- uh, to 3, our temptation to betray Christ for another, verse 4, and our need for discernment, verses 5 through 6. But let's first of all read the verse in its entirety, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. God says, Paul writes, I wish that you would bear with me a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which we have not re- re- you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted... You bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in my knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. So we first, we see this uh, general appeal here in First 1 with Paul's appeal here. And he says, I wish that you would bear with me a, with a little bit of foolishness here. Uh, and again, he has happened to defend himself, something he would rather not do. Uh, and, the, and the nature of these false teachers is a little bit of a mystery, but you can read between the lines and tell. But they uh, appear to be sort of this part Christian, part Jewish, part sophist journeyman philosophers that were consumed with the eloquence of speech and and, uh, and rhetoric and that sort of thing, as was the practice of the Greeks. And they would go from place to place charging money, and they were so gifted in speaking that everybody would be just mesmerized by their abilities and their skills and their craftiness, and they would be willing to pay them money. Well, they have come into the Corinthian church after Paul left, and they've gone and polluted the gospel. And because they're not real Christians... They've got these, these, these kind of pieces, parts of doctrine coming in and, and it's really causing confusion and it's calling, causing factions and that kind of thing. Uh, so Paul is willing to boast uh, because he's having to defend the true gospel. There's a difference between the true gospel and this false gospel that these false prophets are, are, are providing to the Corinthian church. And he says he wishes they would bear with him here. He's, he's got some tough love. Uh, You know, it's hard. We're all a little sensitive. I mean, I guess some of you aren't. But, uh, you know, no one likes rebuke. No one likes being told they're wrong. But I'm telling you, if you can think about the times in your life where you were rebuked and you were told you were wrong, they were probably some of the most sanctifying, maturing times of your life. And you needed to be told that. And really, very often I've found is that very often people who don't rebuke you don't really love you. It's the ones that have a stake in, the, in your relationship, that, that have a commitment to you, that are willing to tell you the truth, even if that truth hurts uh, in particular. So we see here four areas of Paul's focus here, all starting with the word for, which made the outline really easy this time, so I'm grateful for that. But he says here, first of all, there's a Paul's jealousy. And this is a little surprising to us, because we see, think of jealousy as something that's bad, right? Uh, but he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy uh, here. Uh, we often associate jealousy with negative connotations. Uh, but really, jealousy, if you look up the word jealousy, there's some very powerful positive connotations in there. For instance, one of the, some of the definitions for jealousy are intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness and vigilant in guarding a possession. And that's really what Paul's talking about here. He's got a godly jealousy. He has a ge- jealousy on God's behalf here. Uh, and, and our jealousy often includes envy, bitterness, anger, insecurity, that kind of thing. That's not the quality of a godly jealousy. Godly jealousy is motivated, of course, by love. Human jealousy is almost always a vice. Godly jealousy is always a virtue. In Ezekiel chapter 39, God declares, I will be jealous for my holy name. Well, if God's going to be jealous for his holy name, what should his people be? We also should be jealous, of course, for his holy name. Uh, He is jealous towards his people, uh, and and in a sense, he's got the kind of jealousy towards his people like a father has towards his children, and and that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate here. Uh, He's basically, as the responsible father, he's trying to make sure that his daughter, the church, who he birthed in 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 Corinth, basically, is not seduced by the wrong kind of man. For you pride and prejudice people. Here's a bone for you, right? I think about Mr. Bennett, and Mr. Bennett is a likable character, but really kind of a weak father in many, many ways. Uh, and uh, he, if he had been more jealous of his daughter Lydia, he would not have allowed her to go off and elope with Mr. Wickham and create profound scandal throughout the family. That would have been appropriate for him to step in and say, "Wickham's not the man. I'm going to protect you. And that was uh, uh, that's even more important these days. There is a whole lot more seducers these days than there used to be, both for ladies, but also, of course, for the Church of Jesus Christ here. So Paul fears the false teachers are are seducing the church, the bride of Christ, and he's jealous for it. This is a challenge for us. Are, Are we jealous for God's reputation? Does it bother us when we see uh, the church of Jesus Christ maligned and smeared and we see false teachers come into the various denominations? There's not a one of us is not upset when the American flag is burned in a protest. But the cross of Jesus Christ is trampled all the time. Are we willing to put that forth, that kind of productive uh, jealousy to make sure that that sort of thing doesn't happen in your home or uh, within the walls of this church? Now we see here our loyalty was with Christ, verses 2b through 3. He says here, Paul takes on the role of father. He says, I betrothed you to one husband. Now that's a, betrothed is a word we just don't use very often, right? We say engaged. But in the Jewish marriage uh, uh, process was like our marriage process. Uh, First of all, you get engaged, you betroth, and then you have the ceremony. Two big things. But their their betrothal was a lot more serious. As a matter of fact, it was legally binding. This is one reason when Mary was found to be pregnant, it was such a scandal, and Joseph was going to divorce her, put her away, uh, basically to save her life, because she had broken, they thought, the vows of her engagement. But basically, engagement would have lasted probably a year, and engagement may have even been arranged when the children, when the when the husband and the wife were children, a pre-arranged marriage. But it, it was a legally binding contract. They were acted like married couples, but there was there was no consummation, no physical union here. That had to wait until uh, the actual ceremony in the wedding night. And the hus- the father of the bride was really responsible. For protecting the virtue, the chastity of the young bride. He was held liable uh, for that in, in many, many ways. Uh, I mean, and we see that again today. Perhaps today it's almost more of a, just a ceremony for the sake of ceremony without really realizing how important it is. But uh, th- this weekend, though, uh, is the anniversary of both the Stoffers and the McLean's. And both of those precious young brides came down the aisles with their father taking them. And I asked them the question, who gives this woman to be married to this man? So we still see that in our culture as well. Well, that's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, I am the one who gives this woman to be married to this man. The woman is the church of Corinth. And the man is Jesus Christ. So he's not meddling. He's not being overcritical. He has a responsibility here and they are acting very loose with the with the commitment that they had made He wants to present them, he says, as a pure virgin. That was his responsibility until the day of ceremony when they would actually have the wedding. But he mentions a concern here. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, though they're going to be deceived. Eve's mentioned twice by the apostle Paul here. Both of them have to do with her gullibility. Both of them have to do with how she was easily deceived. Go back to Genesis chapter. Isn't it amazing how many times everything goes back to Genesis chapter 3? That's one reason why in our Sunday school classes I'm so glad that we're going through the Old Testament right now. So many things go back to that, right? But in Genesis chapter 3, you know, the the devil didn't show up and wrestle Eve and bind Adam. He just just made promises he couldn't keep. And those promises were attractive. He deceived her. She was gullible. Now, she was gullible. She was deceived. Uh, Adam was a wimp. He was sitting there right there watching it happen. And instead of being like Paul, protecting the girl in his life, he just let it all happen here. So he's conceived about this decision. And that's what's happening. These Corinthians don't come in with, with, well, not guns a-blazing, arrows a-blazing. They don't come in and threaten the Corinthian church. They just make promises they can't keep. They just adjust doctrine a little bit. They just bring in a lot of the culture Uh, which will be palatable to them anyway. And then all of a sudden that seems to sort of usurp the message of grace of the gospel. And ever since Satan deceived Eve, his followers, false teachers, have been doing the same. Just deceit after deceit after deceit. And we seem to just love it so. Love it so. How many churches do you know that are 100 years old that are still preaching the gospel? Many of them died during the 1960s. Many of them are dying today. It just takes a few little compromises, be, be, you know, be, uh, before you don't even recognize the gospel anymore. So Satan was cunning. He had convinced many of the Christians that Paul was actually the cunning one, and he was actually the deceiver. And that's why they were so critical of Paul while he had to uh, defend himself. But one of the things I love about this particular text, because I really think it fits within the kind of worship that we have here at the church and we seek to maintain that you should have, we are called to a simple and pure devotion to Christ. Do you follow that? Simple and pure devotion to Christ why do we complicate Christianity so much? It should be simple and it should be pure. As we go through the uh, Vesper services and we look at these eight foundations of the faith, one of them that I think Jack Stauffer is uh, scheduled to preach is on the regulative principle of worship. And we embrace the regulative principle of worship here at Christ Reformed Church. And it's not complicated. It basically says we worship God according to what Scripture says God wants to be worshipped or how God wants to be worshipped. So we have preaching of the word, reading of the word, almsgiving, fellowship, prayer, the singing of songs, hymns, spiritual songs, and the sacraments. That, that's it. It's just, it's pure and it's simple. You know, our, our, one of our mottos of the church is we're a black coffee church. uh, uh, We had a t-shirt. It's a strong, straight, simple, and leads to a great awakening, you know? We're just a black coffee church. We're, We're not a mocha frappuccino with two squirts of caramel and oat milk froth. That's just not us. That's not us. Just simple. Some people don't like that. Some people don't like that. Now, in saying that, there's plenty of people that we can have fellowship with that don't worship the way we do. Don't, don't take it too far. Uh, this is the way we think it ought to be happen. Some people interpret it different ways. But I've got to be honest with you. When I read the story of uh, is it, uh, Nadab and Abihu, some of the first priests that got struck dead because they offered strange fire to the Lord, and commentators say, we're not exactly sure what strange fire is, but strange would be unauthorized. And fire probably has something to do with sacrifice. You know, that's a wake-up call for a pastor. (laughs) I don't want to be offering that strange fire. I don't want to be struck dead. We just polish this thing up here. You know, it'd be kind of a mess. (laughs) Strange fire. Regulative principle. Pure and simple devotion to Christ. But notice that it's a devotion not to a religion. But to the person of Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord here, and one reason why that Paul emphasized this is because so many things recognize Christ; they recognize Him, maybe even as Lord. But they always want to add stuff. It's Christ plus with so many people, and that's pro- that's exactly the Corinthians didn't come in. They didn't come in these false teachers and say, "Oh no, don't worry about Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's yeah, you need Jesus is wonderful." By the way, we sure do hope that you've been circumcised. By the way, we sure do hope that you... And you fill in the blank. Same thing's happening, of course, today. But what does this devotion look like? It looks like settled joy, mostly. But depending on how difficult things could be in our culture and in your life, it could look like a profound sacrifice. The kind of sacrifice that a loving husband and wife are willing to make even when times are difficult. It may look like Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You know, I use, many of us have read that verse in theory. Some of you have had to practice that verse. You've had people you love deeply abandon the faith. Turn their back on Jesus. Turn their back on you, and you've had to make a decision, is Jesus worth it? Am I going to follow Jesus instead of wallowing in self-pity and rebelling against him and becoming an apostate because my life has not turned out the way I had wanted to turn out? I love the example of Polycarp. I to love his name, Polycarp. Maybe the next child, who's pregnant? Now, never mind, I could do that. Y'all never listen to me when I'm going to suggest names anyway. Otherwise, we'd have... 45 Habakkuk's around the church. All right, so anyway, Polycarp. Polycarp was probably a disciple of the Apostle John, so he, he knew the Apostle John. He was that first generation after the Apostles left. He was the Bishop of Smyrna. Rome had uh, decided that uh, it was disloyal to be a Christian. You need to burn incense uh, to the to the Caesars. So Polycarp was arrested. He was brought into the arena uh, and the pro-council told him, he says, what, you, what I want you to do is I want you to yell, down with the atheists. Now, we would probably be okay with that, right? Yeah, down with the atheists, you know. But the pro-council thought it was the Christians who were the atheists. You see, because they wouldn't worship the false gods, they wouldn't worship the sinners. Therefore, they were sinners. They were atheists, all right? So the pro wanted him to say, down with the atheists. Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen. Uh, multitude in the stadium, gestured towards them, and he said, down with the atheists, speaking of all the Romans that were surrounding them. And then the the pro-council said, swear, urged the pro-council, reproach Christ and I will set you free. And Polycarp said this, 86 years old. 86 years I have served him, Polycarp declared, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The pro says, I have wild animals here. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Call them, Polycart replied. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good and turn to what is evil. I will be glad, uh, uh, though, to be changed from evil into righteousness. If you despise these animals, I will have you burn. You threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But do you know nothing of the fire that is coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly? Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. And they burned him. And he didn't die, so they stabbed him in the heart. And he died. See, Polycarp got that until death do we part. He was committed to the husband of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not complicated. There's just this beautiful simplicity about it. It's pure and it's simple. And it's also really difficult at times. Can we be honest? There's three principles here from the Apostle Paul that remind us of this regulative principle, just how simple, how life and all-consuming Christianity should be. It's not just a Sunday morning check-the-box thing. Philippians one twenty-one: For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Colossians 3, 2 through 4. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. So the apostle is trying to fight again this, this false Christ, this easy Christ. This Christ where you can have your own life, but also give your life to him uh, at the same time. One commentator says this, and quoting Calvin uh, in part of this expression, the twin goals of ministry are the glory of Christ and the joy of the church. Just simple. The glory of Christ and the joy of the church. That means we need to be warm-hearted and passionate while remembering that it isn't actually about us at the end of the day. So as Calvin warns, every Christian needs to beware of pursuing their own interest rather than Christ and of intruding themselves in his place, lest while they pretend to be the bridegroom's friends, they are in fact adulterers who seduce the bride's love to themselves. There is a a settled, joyful devotion to being an active Christian. And we are active not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. Indeed, you cannot separate our life from the life of the church. And everything seems to pull that away from us. And yet, the the more committed we are to the things of God, uh, to the worship of God, to the gathering together of the people of God, to prayer, to the sacraments, the the more settled, joyful confidence we'll have. That little... Nagging voice could be the Holy Spirit telling you you need to be crucified with Christ. So you're the little, no longer you who live, but Christ that lives in you. But we also have this temptation to betray Christ for another, and you see that here in verse uh, verse four. He says here, and he's and he's really he's really hitting them pretty hard here, and he's being sort of cynical too. For if one comes and preaches another here, uh, basically that. That's probably would be better translated since one comes and preaches another because this is not a hypothetical situation that, that Paul is dealing with here. But the basic human nature that he's dealing with is that, that, that we, we tend to lower the standard, don't we? Uh, we, find, we find the most important things just a little too difficult. So we're always lowering the standard. We're trying to make it easier. We're trying to few, do fewer reputation. Uh, uh, reputation, uh, reputation, not reputation. Repetitions. 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 Thank you. Those pesky vowels. (laughs) Repetitions. You can tell me times I've worked out, right? I think about uh, talking to some of the school teachers. There's a policy in many school districts that no matter what, you are not allowed to give below a 60, a D minus, to any student. So student doesn't turn in homework. They fail every test and everything. Basically, all they got to do is show up breathe and they will be able to graduate now let me ask you employers out there what kind of employee does that turn out let me ask you uh, what kind of son-in-law what kind of daughter-in-law what kind of students if you're in higher education is that going to encourage no matter what you do you will pass so instead of raising the standard and helping the people get up to the standard we just lower the standard now by the way I don't really blame the teachers this is part of our culture. This is part of the culture. And it's part of this idea that the, 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 the goal is high school graduation, not actually learning. It's a factory mentality. Matter of fact, I pity the teachers that they have to subdue their conscience every time they give grades. Well, folks, that stuff's all over the place. That lowering the standard, and it's all over the church. It's all over the church. And it can happen in this church too. That's one reason why I'm preaching this. Don't think we're, we're above all this. The Corinthians probably did at one point in time. And he goes on and he, gives these, he, he says, what are these false teachers doing? And he kind of gives these three general headings here. And he talks about another Jesus, another or different spirit, and another gospel here. They, they, they are believing another Jesus whom we have not preached if you have been in, in, around long enough, you've seen this, right? The Jesus of the, of the mainline liberal church is, Jesus is an example. He's an example. It, it gets awkward for us when you start talking about him being God. He's just a great teacher and you should follow his example. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Okay. The Jesus of the Mormons is, oh yeah, he's a great guy. you got to read the Bible. you also got to read the Book of Mormon. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses, great God, certainly not God. The Jesus of the Seventh-day Adventists, yep, you gotta worship Jesus, but you also need to keep the, the Levitical law code. The Jesus of Catholicism. Yep, gotta be saved by grace, but you sure better keep those sacraments, and you better have the last rites, and you better, you better go to Mass. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. We're always adding to Jesus or taking away from Jesus. So it's another Jesus, another different spirit. And, and, you know, this makes us very uncomfortable. But you know the spirit that they're following instead of the spirit, the Holy Spirit? The spirit of the devil, a demonic spirit. You know, some some Christians just see a devil behind every corner. You're like, devil made you do that. But a lot of us don't see the devil enough The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4 says this, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some shall fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. Deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. It's another spirit. And then, of course, another gospel, and it's almost always a grace plus gospel. They don't completely dispense with grace, but they're always wanting to add uh, something to it. They're just deceived, they're corrupt. You know, uh, having a child in Ukraine, I-, I tend to read the headlines coming out of Ukraine here, and uh, one of them caught my attention recently. Uh, y'all know what a- re- reactive armor is? Of course you do. Anyway, but let me explain just in case. Uh, a lot of the older tanks will put reactive armor on the outside of the tank, so when a missile comes through, the-, the armor, there's actually a satchel charge there that will blow up that will take some of the power away from the rocket, allowing the tank crew to survive, Okay. And uh, one of the things is the Ukrainians, as the Russian tanks have proven to be so, so bad. One of it is just simply because of the corruption of the government system in Ukraine. And as the Ukrainians were finding some of these tanks that were blown up by their missiles, they pulled off some of this reactive armor that was all over the tanks. They found egg cartons inside of them. Some little corrupt bureaucrat Pocketed the money for the real armor and put egg cartons on the outside of their tank. How is an egg carton going to protect you from a missile? As they, as they uh, captured Russian soldiers with body armor, they found that a lot of the body armor plates were actually cardboard. Some corrupt, false official made a bunch of money by replacing the real body armor with cardboard. And people died. Was well, just as bad to spiritually deceive, to be spiritually corrupted, and give people a false sense of salvation and to get away from pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. The rest of that story is the, uh, the defense minister of Ukraine wrote a letter to the defense minister of Russia and thanked them for being such a bad army, <laughs> which I thought showed some hoots on their part. So we have this other gospel, and, they, and then Paul goes on and says, and you, you, you bear with this beautifully. You're willing to put this up. You've embraced the gods of tolerance that says you can breathe, believe anything and still get into heaven. And he's rebuking them for it. You bear with this beautifully. He's just being, he's being sarcastic there. Paul can be sarcastic here. They're just distracted. For the Corinthians, everything is squirrel. You know, they can't maintain a devotion to To pure, simple devotion to Jesus Christ. There's a great old German proverb that says this, Tell me who you are fighting, and I will tell you who you are. They decided to make peace with everybody. No one got kicked out of the church. No one was accused of heresy. And folks, the reason why, I don't want to come down too hard on you. But our church can be just like this if we're not careful. And it's every one of your responsibilities. Think about the book of Revelation. You know the first, uh, the, the seven churches uh, in Asia? Churches that Paul probably planted, if, or at least uh, directly or indirectly. Five of the seven, by the time John wrote Revelation, probably in 90 AD, maybe 30 years after this, 20 years after this, five of the seven had already been leaving Jesus Christ. And he said, if you do, I'm going to take your lampstand out of the way. I'm going to remove your light for the world will go into darkness. And all five of those churches are in Muslim Turkey today. Yeah, it could be us. We ought to have have a holy insecurity (laughs) where we just don't ever leave this pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. Presumption with obedience is very, very dangerous in many ways. Now we see here our need for discernment, and this is what Paul calls us to do. Uh, he says, uh, for I do not consider myself the least inferior to the most eminent apostles here. Uh, he's kind of uh, he's calling them the most em- your, your eminent apostles. Your uh, translation might say super apostles. We don't know if this was a title that the false teachers took to themselves or Paul is, again, being a little sarcastic to them. But again, he's not talking about Peter and John. He's talking about people who are taking the title of apostle. This happens in churches today. You know, I think I told you I was eating at uh, Ryan Steakhouse in Columbia several years ago when these ladies came up to us. They saw we were having a Bible study, and they say, "Oh yes, we go to the church where the where the uh, the apostle Beatrice Smith is the uh, is in charge of the church." Wow, the apostle, the apostle, big A apostle, Beatrice Smith. Wow that's avoid those churches I guess is the lesson there. So these super apostles here he's 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 uh he's saying you know he's compared himself to them he's not uh, inferior to them. He says here though he is an unskilled in speech. Now that doesn't mean Paul can't preach. Paul was probably an excellent preacher, but he was not going to put on this stylized rhetoric of the Greco-Roman world, which is half acting, you know. One reason why we don't have drama in our church, Jack put me onto this quote, uh, you bring drama into worship and you end up with very bad drama. <laughs> you know, and, and, and this is the kind of thing he was going against. It was all this drama uh, and rhetoric and stylized preaching and it's not pure and simple. Paul is just going back to this, this pure and simple, I am not unskilled in speech uh, but I certainly I am unskilled in skill and speech, but I certainly am not in knowledge. You know what Paul preached: Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He wasn't trying to be a psychologist. He wasn't trying to make you feel better about anything. He wasn't trying to give you a four-step diet plan or anything like that. He just preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And when you start attaching a thousand other things to worship, people miss that message. You know, one of, the, one of the joys of our church is there's just not a whole lot of other reason to come here. We ain't got a great playground. The coffee is mediocre. Can we be honest? No offense to the deacons, you know. You know, we don't have a thousand little th- reasons why you would come to the church. It's just Jesus Christ and him crucified. And fellowship with really holy, committed people. And a good tradition that, sh- Lord willing, will keep us safe, Right? Now again, it, the bigger we get, the more resources we have, we'll, we can add some other things, but they will all be within that, print, that pure and simple devotion to Christ, whatever it, it might be. 1 Corinthians 1.22 uh, says, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, to Gentiles, foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul himself had this knowledge. He was given the mysteries of God. He was discipled by Jesus himself. And he says here, in fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. He told the Ephesian elders he did not shrink back from teaching them the whole purposes of God. It's it's tempting sometimes to pull the punch a little bit because it's disturbing. People don't want to know they're sinners. They want to be told they're, they're saints and they're going to be just fine. But you have a responsibility to tell them the truth, whether they like it or not. Now, don't be a jerk about it. That's part of what we're dealing with. There's been a lot of Christian jerks in the past, right? N- none here. But <laughs> we-, we all need to be as doves, and we all need to be true to service. We all need to season our words with salt and speak the truth in love. But we do need to speak the truth. We need to speak the truth. Telling somebody they're going to heaven when they're not, you will be held accountable for that lie. So, uh, they're just missing it. They're not recognizing Paul. They're ignoring Paul, and therefore ignoring the gospel, and they've gone after other other teachers, other husbands, rather than pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. They're just like Israel of old. They just keep going after the others here. They don't realize the good thing that they have. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul founded this church... I mean, I, there would be some Bible studies we would want to go to, right? There's a great illustration here about some uh, a group of hikers that were down in the foothills of the Himalayas, and there was an old man walking by there, and they stopped him and asked him to take a picture of their group. So they all the old man said, "Certainly, got the camera." They're all sitting there, you know, doing I don't know what you, what's this, right? You doing the pictures, the young people? Am I, got I got it wrong, right? That's a that's a that's a gang, son. I just joined a gang, didn't I? All right. Anyway, they're waving or whatever, you know, doing this, you know. They realized sometime later, the old man that took the picture was Sir Edmund Hillary. The first European to hike Mount Everest. But they were so into their own little moment, they ignored the most famous person to ever be on those Himalayan mountains. The Same things happened to the Corinthian church. They got the Apostle Paul, but he's not as pretty and he's not as articulate as these false apostles. So they're going to follow after them you know we've looked at hosea eventually god gave up on hosea one of the most terrifying verses in all of scripture is hosea chapter 4 verse 14 ephraim which is another the major tribe of israel or israel ephraim is joined to idols let him alone there might be a time where jesus just stops chasing after his bride now if you really are his bride you will be saved you will be part of the marriage feast But the church in general could be in a lot of trouble if they keep following after the idols. So we look about this marriage. We look about this commitment. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to to do the things you need to do to stay in the fight with Jesus Christ? Well, let me give you a little bit of a vision about what's going to happen one day. And this, this is history yet not fulfilled yet. Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints And then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. It's worth it. Covenant faithfulness, loyalty to Christ is worth it. Whatever you have to give up to make sure that you're loyal to that husband of Christ, it's worth it. Because what I just read will happen and you're going to be part of that great day. Father, please bless us with a a joyful sobriety that it takes to be able to live uh, in such a fallen age. Help us to rise above the passions and the distractions of our culture and of our own selves. And let us know the joy of being devoted to our husband, Jesus Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.